in this week's episode of Show Notes. Like he had a 404 error code, like brain not found. (laughs) Oh, yay. She got what she wanted, but had to die. How dare you say it didn't? You weren't there. (laughs) Or Patrick Wilson. Oh, f*** you. (laughs) He was not afraid of falling off that ledge. He was afraid of the next note he had to hit. Of all the ways you could have put that sentence, I appreciate that it was just very... It just wasn't right. <laughs> to do just for you. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> I mean, shit. Happy birthday, Mr. President. <laughs> oh, I never with the radio on. <laughs> <laughs> Mary, what are you doing? I'm just watching Kurt Cameron play Jean Valjean. Oh my God, curtain up. <laughs> Thank you, family. God. Oh my God. Ah, oh, do it. it's a uh, man. I, oh, I wish that I could do voices like Seth MacFarlane. Do it. Seth MacFarlane is a national treasure, and uh, we just need to admit that. To be truly honest with you, they, they are, in fact, kidding themselves if they don't, yeah. you know. And uh, what's that What's that uh, space show he's doing? The Orville? Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Uh, I've only seen the first season of this, though. It's like, I'm, good. Is it? And I don't think it's getting renewed, and it's very oh, sad. Wah, wah. I don't have the sad trombone in the sound bank. Wah, 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 wah. Well, I don't need it because I have you, <laughs> babe. So, um, we're coming back to the French cheese musical. The French cheese. <laughs> Is that the like the subtitle of I that? Mean, I would absolutely take a nice bite hunk out of a Javert cheese. I would. See, I'm all about the Jean Valjean cheese. You want like, some Valjean? Oh my god, he's creamy and strong creamy and, and melty. Ooh. Mm, he literally is like brie. But just then like, it's like a classic Fontaine, you know. Oh, I mean, as long as you don't go Gavroche with it, you'll be fine. Yeah, I, I can't stand a Marius. It's a little funky. Yeah, but as soon as you breach into Tenardier territory, it's just like it 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 tastes like something that rat, should not rat be food. Pee. <laughs> <laughs> well. It seems like we have the whole cheese flight, so... Uh, awesome. Like Let's the, get some wine. Oh, my... I mean, I have 16 bottles downstairs. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> well, screw the show. Let's, yeah, go. let's just go drink wine and eat cheese. Um, well, but, I mean, we can't do that to you guys because you, you, you deserve, nay, you need to hear what we have to say <laughs> about this show. So the only way to do that is to take this from, from the, the top. top. From the top. A five, six, seven. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You guys. Wait for me. I'm Michael in the bathroom by himself. Perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of From the Top, your favorite musical theater cast and review. My name is Mary. And I'm Stephen. Stephen. Oh, God, you make it sound so pretty every time we do this. Well, I did like the whole, oh my gosh, look down, look, <laughs> look down. down last time. So now I was trying to be like, Cosette, we petite g- girl. Okay, with a cheese. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we petite cheese. Um, well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, gaties, ladies and babies, I have the honor, the privilege, the absolute just cheese flight of having my bestie all the way from Portland, Oregon, here with me tonight in the booth. I'm so excited. I'm going to try not to laugh every time we look at each other, but it's okay. We got this. We got this. It's, <clears throat> it's so funny because, like, we obviously do this from 600 miles away via, you know, like, Zoom-style thing. And we look at each other all the time, but there's always a delay. So then we say something funny, and then it, like, clips, and then it's funny. But now it's like, this is you in in anima. You are here with me. And so now it's going to be really hard. Can't handle this. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I can't touch this. We can only do five seconds of that because otherwise we have to pay for it. Absolutely. I, you got that money? I don't got that money. I mean, I only did five seconds. It's, okay, it's cool. fine. It's fine. Well, folks, I, let's circle violently back. We took a sojourney uh, on the marquee tonight. We are doing show notes for Les Miserables. Les Miserables. Pepin is all I hear with that. Yep. That's about right. Well, it's about right. So we both, in the meantime, had the pleasure, privilege, problem of Cheese watching yes. the, the film. Oh, boy. So Ooh. so now we're, we're coming in hot. Yes. And you, ma'am. Me, sir. Have changed some of your your thoughts and topics on this. So I would love to get into this. However, we do have a few minor corrections from our episode. So we need to get right into notes from a director. If it isn't asking too much, will you please show me a little? All right, now, once again, give it some. Oh, boy. All right. Well, for this type of show, um, I feel like notes are going to be very... Are they intense? Do I need a pencil? Not intense. Um, there's There was just so much information and a lot of plots and things to juggle, so clearly some things were said that were just not correct. <laughs> <laughs> of all the ways you could have put that sentence, I appreciate that it was just very... It just wasn't right. <laughs> You know, things were jarbled, garbled, oh, I jumbled love... and marbled. Jumbled so. and marbled? Jarbled, garbled, mumbled and marbled. I don't know. That sounds like a, a, the, a, a Harry Potter incantation. <laughs> Hocus Pocus. <laughs> Wrong show. That's fine. The first one I actually want to correct. Um, I'd, right away, I had ab- accidentally said Javert was... Um, Right, right. When I was making a comparison with Jean Valjean and Javert, I called Jean Valjean. He's the criminal sort of of the show, and that's his birth of his storyline. And then I went into Javert, and he, the script and audience sort of acts and makes him. I said criminal. I meant villain. Oh. So, so I was like, wait, 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 that's not right. I want to correct myself on that. Sure. So we as an audience almost view Javert as the villain of the show, the antagonist. Oh, totally. The one who's constantly on the hunt for our protagonist. And I, I meant villain, but he's not. He's the policeman, which is why we have to analyze this show and say, who is he really? And what what's what's his stakes and what's his goals and yeah, wants? And, absolutely. Yeah, motivation. Okay. But... Uh, wanted to clear that up. He's not a criminal. He's sort of the audience's villain. Okay, fair enough. I said that Jean Valjean stole some bread for his brother's son. It was his sister's, sister's son. son. Yep. Okay. Uh, so clarification on that. <clears throat> and then uh, I had a brain moment, we'll say. A brain, <laughs> little brain thing. I couldn't think of any other shows that had our ladies of the night in them. <gasps> oh. But we have come to find out there is a lady of the night in, in every, every musical. musical. <laughs> to be non-PC, there is a whore in every musical. Okay? There there is Yay! there is one. There is. And I'm going to rattle off now literally. Oh shit. Like every show in the musical theater library. <laughs> so let's just talk about the entire cast of Cabaret. Sure. Mary Magdalene, Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, there are many featured in Miss Saigon. Satine, Moulin Rouge, Lucy, Jekyll and Hyde, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, all of them. A funny thing <laughs> happened on the way to the forum, has a whorehouse. Yep. Uh, Mimi from Rent, uh, our Miss Charity in the classic Sweet Charity. Sherry from Rock of Ages ends up needing to go work on a pole. Uh, Nancy and Oliver. Um, and even there's a song called Whore's Lament in a lovely show called Amour. <laughs> so I'm just saying we need to make this normal. We need to normalize sex work. Please, we, please, please. We support sex work in this house. Yeah. So, and I, what what is the obsession with prostitution in musicals? What is this? Well, do you want to know what's funny? Is the first thing I think of is the Great American Trailer Park Musical. Pippi. Pippi. See, there's all there's there's some sort of Maybe there it's an allure of like the the forbidden thing that it's like or the the thing that's taboo. You always have to have something taboo in a musical to like make it feel more 
grounded, realistic. I don't know. I don't edgy, know if that's true. Edgy. At that, at that factor. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's, uh, to me, maybe it's just something that everyone has done, so it's just the easy go-to. Yeah. It's an easy go-to, so maybe it's unimaginative writing. I don't know. Oh my God, I have no idea. But I do like that it is in the forefront, and probably why musical theater people are pretty open people. Oh, totally. Absolutely. So, next one, I will say, uh, I did say I would look up what bullpoo was in <gasps> French. You did say that! Oh my God, tell me uh caca de toro <gasps> i'm probably rolling that r and i shouldn't be <laughs> um you know what you can have a little spanish influence caca de toro toro de toro nope that's still caca, spanish caca de toro that is ah that was better de toro there it is caca de toro there we go much like guillermo del guillermo de toro del toro yeah, see there we go. Yeah, no, I'm with you. so uh but yeah Caca. <laughs> but it makes sense. Caca, boo, and then Toro like Taurus. That, those were the only notes I caught. Just some That's small, it? small corrections. Otherwise, it was pretty pretty open. Like we, Because like I said, we talked about big themes in this show. We really did. And it's just sort of how it plays in the world and, sure. and all of that. So sure. a lot, some of it was opinion, but I think it was our, our take on how this show feels relevant. Sure. And contemporary in a lot of ways. Yeah, I agree with that. So you had mentioned very unabashedly in the beginning that I have changed some of my opinions on things, which, you know, as the the core foundation of our show is you are within your right to do between the time that we do the episode and the time that we do show notes. 100. We are allowed to be able to get new information. We can change thoughts and form opinions and do things. Um, I will say as the little footnote to the, um, you know, changing opinions. For our previous episode, I was not in the right headspace to actually attack this show, which sounds violent, but to really deep dive it with the right amount of kind of candor that I normally do with shows. Um, my kitchen flooded into my basement, and I've just been doing nothing but fielding phone calls and visits from contractors and insurance companies. And I'm just, I'm so unbelievably tired. So I will apologize in advance that like, that was a very, at least from my perspective, a very lackluster episode for me because like, obviously I didn't come to the table prepared with everything that I wanted to talk about. I was too distracted with everything about life. So that's why I have different opinions now. And I'm really looking forward to kind of dissecting what I said versus what I believe now. Well, uh, let's just say you had a real life actors nightmare i really did though like it was just you walked into this studio and we're like i don't even know what i need to talk about please help me i was like what show are we doing oh right okay it's this delightful and but and it's it's almost the worst show because there's so many deep visceral oh steven my god duh. so, so i mean you know, <laughs> honestly, it was great because I think you said it in our show, physical show, that this show, it would almost do a disservice in a way to talk about some nitty gritty things because this show is so broad. It's so big. It's so big. It's that focusing in on the minute things are almost irrelevant. Yeah. But we're going to do it. Ooh, so let's do it. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's irrelevant, but let's do it. But let's do it. Let's try it anyway. Let's do it. Um. So I just want to sort of open the floor right away to your actor's nightmare with this show. What do you want to talk about? What are some things that you've changed your mind on? Let's open a open discussion. Oh my gosh. Um. Well, the first thing that I will say that I would love to talk about is the idea that we had touched on it a little bit in the last episode that Javert is the type of character who believes that everything is black and white. You are either a man of God or you are a criminal and that is it. It doesn't matter what you've done or who you are or how you repent. I mean, he even says to Jean Valjean, like right in the beginning, you, you know, cause he goes, I'm free. Javert goes, no, no, you will be a criminal for the rest of your life. And if you don't show up and, and tell us where you are, you'll basically give away your entire life of freedom because you can't adhere to rules. So I, I had thought about that and we had, you know, talked briefly about, you know, the differences between crimes and should things be treated the same. Well, then I went back and watched the show and then watched the film. 
And what I find fascinating is that Javert starts out, or it really does throughout this whole show, be this person who is black and white. But he, when he is faced with Jean Valjean, who is, you know, the mayor of this new town, and he doesn't necessarily know his identity yet, um, he comes to him and says, I have made a false report against you. You must take away my title, take away my job, take away everything and punish me. And Jean Valjean goes, no, you made a mistake. Go back to your post. And the look on Javert's face is like, um, like he had a 404 error code, yeah. like brain not found. <laughs> he was like, what do you mean? What is this? And it, it, really the subtitle just needs to say, that's mercy, my man. Like that's what that is. And so that was so fascinating to see him have this moment where he went, oh my God, okay, I can go back to work now. Like this is great. But then when faced with the opportunity of having Jean Valjean in his clutches, he still went for him and he went, you're still a criminal. I'm still going to get justice because you did a bad thing. And it's like, my guy, he gave you amnesty. Like he gave you a minute that was like, you can go back to your job. He absolutely could have taken your title away. But he didn't because he is a man of God, a man of God who did a bad thing, but repented for the thing. And you still don't acknowledge it. It actually kind of drove me a little insane. It's kind of like watching that friend who is complaining to you about, oh, my gosh, my partner's just so. And then they don't do anything about it. <gasps> years oh and years. And you're like, you can help yourself. Mm-hmm. Why aren't you? And then, more to the point, like, as this is progressing, right, and he tries to go undercover with everybody against, you know, against the French, and he's on the side of the rebellion or whatever, and then they lock him up. Jean Valjean goes, put me in charge of him. They're like, all right, man, do what you gotta do. And he lets him go, and he says, go ahead. Just go. I know our paths will cross again. So go. Fires off a warning shot as a, I could have hit you and I didn't. He keeps proving to him that I could screw your life up totally, but I don't because I'm a man of God. You, on the other hand, you are blindly led by the idea that justice is the only thing that matters. By the end of it, this is going to sound bad. By the end of it, when he's standing up on the precipice and singing his big old sad ballad about how I would rather be, you know, the sub the subtext is I'd rather be dead than be indebted to a criminal. I'm just like, my dude, this could have been a monologue. Just jump. Oh, no. That's really oh. not PC, and it's not good. And under any other circumstance, I must oh say gosh, this. Oh, my Heather? Oh, my God. <laughs> I would be Heather Duke. I would be Heather Duke in a minute. <laughs> oh, what, what if it was like a plot twist? What if Valjean just had a crush on Javert? <gasps> okay, well, we haven't gotten to the what if part of this yet, but that's very fun. I like it. I but like, like it. it's just he liked, it, he liked the thrill of the chase. I mean, truly though, there are some people who just like the thrill of the chase, which is fine. I get that. But it just, it was, as an audience member, it was so wildly frustrating to watch this human be shown time and again, here is mercy. I am giving you a chance. Yeah. And then he just went, no, you're still a bad human. And it's like, well. In a way, isn't it almost like those Bible thumpers that are literally, <gasps> they, they're so clouded and they can't see what's good anymore. Uh, and it's, 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 they can't be godlike. Instead, they're so focused on their one thing and it's the wrong thing. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, it's just. Mm. Mm-mm, yeah. Mm-mm. So I don't know. Maybe there is some correlation there. Maybe there yeah. is a bigger message in all of that. Yeah. There was also, <laughs> you had mentioned that, you know, that it's silly that Anne Hathaway was on screen for 20 minutes and gets it's an Oscar. Bad. Yeah. And gets an Oscar for having her haircut like yeah. live, like on stage or on, on stage. What I thought was interesting was in this little pocket of time that we get to kind of know who Fontaine is very like surface level. I thought it was interesting that she so vehemently was against the mayor, Jean Valjean, um, for having, for being thrown out of her, you know, the sewing house, right? 
when she blamed him for being thrown out when it was the foreman who did the throwing out. Yes. But I, I thought it was wildly fascinating to watch this kind of journey of hers to go from things like, um, you know, what she cares about to what she's willing to really sacrifice to be able to take care of Cosette. And the moment that she has selling, you know, selling her hair with the, the woman at the docks as someone who really has enjoyed now having really long hair and has gone through a period where I shaved all of it off or most of it off because I was having a crisis of myself. It's powerful what you tie to your own identity. And the fact that she had a brief moment where she went, no, I'm not going to do this. And then the woman's like, well, it's worth 10 francs if you want it. She's like, oh my God, is it really? Okay, great. Let's do it. And she was willing to give it up in a New York minute. The lengths that you will go to to take care of the people that you care about, I thought was so strong and very relatable obviously as a woman as is you know i'm not a mother but like people that i know who are single moms like what are you willing to do to take care of your kids the the discovery of cosette is the reason why she was thrown out of her job in the first place she still it didn't matter she still wanted to make sure that her daughter would be okay and then when she inevitably meets the mayor again and he goes i know you why do i know you and she like throws out the venom and is like, well, it's because of you that I lost my job and da, 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 da. And he shows her one moment of mercy. That's all it took for her to instantly fall into his arms and go to the hospital. Like it was, I thought it was wildly fast. So the whole crux of this is to say that we told an entire story of a human being in 20 minutes. And granted the magic of film gives us the ability to be able to cut things pretty quickly, which is why the seven year transitions that you were talking about last time are easier to watch on film than they are in the live show. They really, really are. Yeah. Because it's easier to show this, you know, quick transition of here's seven years that's gone by because now we can see that obviously Jean Valjean is clad in different things. His scars have healed. Like he's a different human being. Let's be real. I only ever really knew, you know, Fontaine for her, you know, number I dreamed a dream. Like that was it. That's what most people know her for. Right. But then to in the film to watch you know Anne Hathaway's portrayal was actually really beautiful and not to tie it to a specific performer but the idea that you know she's you know she goes to have you know sex with this you know um, naval captain Mm -hmm. and he is having this moment of like you know it's physical connection and he's like kissing on her and doing all these things and she's just laying there and you know the line not two lines before is love why wouldn't you want to make money in your sleep Right. It's so sad and then becomes such a strong turning point when Jean Valjean shows up and he's like, no, you do not need to do this anymore. Let's get you the help that you need to immediately follow it with a a goddamn sword fight in a hospital. Javert, (laughs) what are you thinking? Get out of here. You know, like I was saying, sometimes I have those moments uh, walking down the street and I'm like, well, I have a couple bucks in my pocket. Do I give that? Yep. Sometimes it's showing that mercy in that one moment and it can change that person's day. Yeah. Their week, that life. Like Absolutely. It, so it just becomes that, just show people grace sometimes. Just be nice. I've heard many, many, many times for the houseless that sometimes they just want to be looked at. Sometimes they want to be acknowledged. Yeah. And that's it. Because no one looks at them. There was a person that I, it makes me think of a, when I when Tyler and I were in New York, the Phantom of the Pod and I were in New York, and uh, we were walking by, um, I think it had to, I think it was Macy's down like in Times Square, and we were walking by and there was a homeless woman that was sitting in the middle of the sidewalk that was like huddled up in her blankets, because of course it's December in New York, right? So it's like 20 degrees outside, and she doesn't have a can out, she doesn't have anything out asking for money. She had a sign that said, will you acknowledge me? Do you see me? And that was it. I mean, yes, but how do I approach that is is really difficult to do because like we are trained as people. You look the other way, like the whole the entire scene with with Javert and all of his soldiers riding through what looks to be like the like the undesirables district of Paris, like walking, like running through this um, this alleyway is everybody who is who has some sort of disease or is sick in some way. And he doesn't even acknowledge them. And then the gates close. And that's when they all come out going you know, why don't you see us here? Like we are all here suffering and he just rides, you know, rides on. Yeah. And, uh, I think the film made it really, really apparent in that juxtaposition that you could see their sort of tent cities right next to these mega mansions and Mm -hmm. banks and places of business that were pristine and clean versus people dying on the street. And Mm -hmm. it, it, 
it felt like I was looking at a picture on the nine o'clock news. I mean, history repeats itself, babe. We and know. We're, I mean, we're in a full repeat. It really reminds me of, you know, people in different walks of life. Like you should never ignore somebody else's walk of life and what they are doing because theirs is just as important as yours. They might be struggling more than you are, but then again, you can never really know that. So it's like all, you know, the idea of just seeing somebody there and acknowledging, I see you here. I know that you're struggling and I'm sorry that you are. Here is the least I can do to try to help you Yeah, is so important. And I mean, the only other thing I guess that I would say that I kind of have a different opinion on now is, um, my poor little Eponine. Well, let's talk about this because I think I fall on the other side in a lot of ways. Let's get into it. I love it. Cool. Cool. <laughs> uh, folks, for anybody who is not in the booth, which is all of you, he just geared up and was like, I'm ready for a conversation. <laughs> Cracking the knuckles. Cracking the knuckles. So. Let's. Oh, okay. Let's, let's actually talk about this. So, because I had I had asked the question in, in our episode, mm -hmm. do we vie for Eponine or Cosette? Mm-hmm. And because I think this is where people can take sides or pick sides and choose. And it's, I don't think one is better than the other no. in any way. No. Because both have their strong and weak points. Eponine, who has grown up in one way of life and only knows that way, is a daughter of the Tenardiers who are vile individual people. But she is somehow somewhat of a pleasant person and has somewhat of a good head on her shoulders. Yeah. Vying for Marius, who will not notice her or is so thick-headed he can't notice that she's making advances or flirting. Yeah. Flip to Cosette. We have Cosette, who has never had a leg up in life, born into him from a mother and had to be essentially a minor worker for mm -hmm. the Denardies. All of that money was funneled to Eponine, who then at that point was growing up nice. Yep. <laughs> and switches when, of course, Jean Valjean takes her. But then she's sort of locked away. She doesn't get to live. So the first boy who shows interest to her, she's like enamored. Mm -hmm. And it's this sudden Romeo and Juliet sequence. Literally immediately. <laughs> and, you're, and you're just like, whoa, okay. But she's finally getting to live and experience something in a way. Mm -hmm. But it feels less than because we get to see the pining of Eponine and that slow growth of love versus that quick heartburst enamor. So what's better? My Where I fall on this line, not that it's better, but that I, I suppose the best way for me to say is that I identify with this more. Sure. And I think than, most people do. Right. So Eponine. She and Marius have been friends and or they're they're friends, but they're flirty sometimes. But they, she's always kind of like there for him. And then, you know, in the middle of the street where there's a fight that breaks out between Tenardier and Jean Valjean, Eponine comes in and says, oh, my God, the cops are here. You know, it's Javert. We have to leave. And Jean Valjean's like, oh, dear Jesus. It tries to like, you know, grab Cosette and like leave. Yeah. Um, you know, you've once this happens, Marius then catches eyes with Cosette. And then to turn to your best friend or turn to someone who is close to you, I don't know how good of friends, but turn to someone who you probably see every day, someone who is very like present yeah. in your life and go, you need to find her because, oh my God, I'm in love. And she's like, um, excuse me, you want me to what? And she does it. That's the thing that I think I identify with the most is the idea that she has all of the power in her hand to not make this happen. When Cosette is leaving with Jean Valjean because he's like, we got to go. We can't be here. And she slips the note into the fence and Eponine comes upon this note. She totally could have kept it. She could have left it as is. Mm -hmm. She could have just made him think that Cosette disappeared into the night, never to be seen again. And she could step in and try to go, oh my God, I know you're so sad. Here, let me come for you. But she doesn't. She gives it to him and, and, and lets him read that she's running off and doing a thing. Yeah. So even through the heartbreak of knowing that he will never say those words to me, the I love you and I adore you and all these things, she still does not have it in her heart to break him. And that's what I think I identify with the most is the idea that you love someone at the core of you so much that even though you hold all the cards to change your fate with this person... You don't. Yeah. Because you love them. Well, and I think that I even said it when we were doing our cast list. I believe Cosette to be 
sort of a damsel in distress. And it's that it's oh, that totally. waif, waif-like woman character totally. who really isn't in control. The one thing they give Cosette is she is a little bit stubborn and you know, has her own will yeah. and has her own drives. Yeah. So she is built that way as a character, but Eponine is, you get to see more growth and you get mm-hmm. to see more character arc. Yeah. So I think that's maybe why I think more people will identify with Eponine always. Oh, yeah. Because we've all had that person yeah. that we love and just doesn't love us back. I feel like I have. I feel like I have done things in hopes that maybe by doing this thing for them, they'll then notice me. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't happen. It doesn't Doesn't happen. ever happen. No. But I also think I've been in, like, maybe the shoes of Marius and been like, oh, my gosh, to, like, other people around. Like, you know, but you're just so blinded by love mm-hmm. and that lust and, mm-hmm. and infatuation. But then to be Cosette... And suddenly have someone take interest in you when you feel so unseen. Yeah, that's, yeah, because she spends her whole life kind of being unseen. And she, even Jean Valjean walks in and like, oh, Cosette, you're so, like, hidden. Or he says something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, aren't I? Like, this whole moment with him. Mm -hmm. And so she has to acknowledge that. And he acknowledges that with her. So I don't know. I I think it's just because Eponine is built better in the story. Yeah, I'd say that's true. And gets to have, like, this epic death. (laughs) Oh, when Marius is holding her and she's just like, just be here with me. She kind of gets her happy ending, in a way. Yeah. You know? She gets what she wanted. Yeah. Oh, yay. She got what she wanted, but had to die. No, God. So dramatic having to die (laughs) to get what you want. So, you know, a lot of really good, I don't know, a lot of good things I think came from me being in a terrible headspace and then giving myself time to go, okay, much like I did with Oklahoma, like I just, I have to give myself the time to do it. You know, sometimes I think shows do that to you. They're a slow creep. I will walk out of a theater thinking about the show or I'll have an opinion about the show and then I'll keep thinking exactly about that show yeah even like movies or films or whatever and yeah. the, it, I will always say if I keep thinking about it it did something absolutely and th- that is this show like you no matter what you end up thinking about certain things and certain points and certain characters or yeah yeah and uh, so this one's a slow burn for you. Totes. But it was, there were good parts about the burn. Much like a good whiskey, it burns real nice. Then there are other things. So like a bad whiskey is like, mm. I have a little fun thing I never got to mention because it didn't flow into Ooh. our history. Tell me. This is the funniest, stupid fact about Victor Hugo. Oh my God, tell me. So he was exiled to this island because he no longer had the uh, parliament protection. Sure. When Louis Napoleon took over. Yes. So he was exiled to a island to serve his penance. Right. And he wrote this book. Sure. While he was writing. Oh, no. He wrote this book naked. (gasps) What? To a point where people on the island with him, because it was not necessarily like prison. Right. We were just exiled to the island. Right. But people on this island with him knew to like, knock or to not go disturb him during certain hours of the day when they knew he'd be writing. Why are you writing in the, do you think better in the nude? I don't know. And I need to know. (laughs) And I will never know. (laughs) Oh my God. So yeah, he wrote all five volumes. Completely naked. I, I can't remember what it said, but he said most of the time he enjoyed writing this, this book naked. So it's the equivalent of like having a sock on the door instead of like getting freaky. You're just, you're writing. You're writing. Just do not. If if the island is a rockin', don't <laughs> come a knockin'. Oh man! And the island will always be rockin'. <laughs> I do not. I can't fathom how this would help one write better. I I don't know, but yeah, I don't. I don't even want to extrapolate because I feel like it would I just go down very scary territory. I don't even and, know. No, I'm not about it. Titillating pen scratches on old parchment. I don't... <laughs> Titillating on something, but something. not not parchment, babe. Oh, no. Um, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. So the only other thing I think we didn't really get to dive into with this show in, Marius and Anjoros. 
Anjores. We didn't really get to talk about them. We didn't get to... Oh yeah, really talk- and like this whole rickety chair wall and the situation and who were these people and why you know how was this whole rebellion working? And I'm really glad that you brought this up because that was actually something that I that I thought about after watching this. Like I know that that we're in the middle, like the French Revolution is like happening, or there's some the French Revolution happened, and now we're, yeah. we're in the aftermath, right? So it's kind of like. Uh, so I will equate it to America had its revolution, the Revolutionary War from sure, uh, Britain, the UK. Okay, and then we realized, oh, we kind of need to figure out a system. Uh, oh, wait, for us to work. Hence, then a civil war because there were opposing sides of maybe thoughts on how this sure. country should go years and decades later. So that's essentially what this June Rebellion was okay. like. That in in some ways, sure. not, not perfectly, but no, yeah. But I mean, that was the hard part for me was the the fact that this film, and again, you know, the, with the magic of film, we were able to f- you know follow certain storylines. It focused so hard, I think, on the love story, the personal relationships, the the journey of Jean Valjean, the adversarial relationship of Javert and Jean Valjean. We had so many B, C, D plots going that then we... A double we, F plot. A double F plot, yes, which... <laughs> <laughs> mezzo, mezzo forte. No, that's MF. Um... I can't remember what FF is. Anyway, um, it's super soft plot. We, we get we get to this this moment where we're building the barricade and we're building it out of anything we can think of furniture and I mean pianos, chairs, coffins at the front of this thing, like just absolute ridiculous things. But I almost kind of forgot what we were doing when the. French army just starts invading the middle of this town that they're in. And I, I turned to my lovely Stephen and went, honey, why are we fighting? Like I had to ask the question. Well, it was essentially their national guard. Right. To my understanding. Yeah. And they're seeing some insurgents. So again, not to make it like the June 6th thing on our capital. That's us in a way what these people were doing. They were trying to make such a ruckus because they were unhappy with what was going on. Mm -hmm. Which I think is the reason why that relationship between Anjoras and um, Marius is overlooked because we're so focused on love stories and revenge and all these other things that it's like, Oh, right. There's insurrection happening. Literal. And like they took over the central square of the town and Mm -hmm. they barricaded themselves with this wall made of scrap Mm -hmm. and anything they could get their hands on. And that actually happened. Like that's a true point of this. That's why it's a part of the show. Most of Les Miserables is actually fact correct. Like what the the details of all this. Which seems wild. Wild. But. It's true. Right. And so, of course, like, the love stories are fictionalized, but, you know, you you don't know these soldiers' lives. This this could have been happening. Yeah, you have no idea. You don't know. You don't know. How dare you say it didn't? You weren't there. <laughs> but I, I do want to talk about Marius and and Anjoras. Like, this, this is clearly a brotherhood, and all these people surrounding them like they are young people who want to make a difference and see a better future than what this is Mm -hmm. they see the discrepancies of what's happening and the the people hurting in these streets and the people like miss antoinette eating cake looking down upon (laughs) upon the week right and so that's this whole thing Mm -hmm. this is whole reason why this is happening they're so upset and so angry that they see a better future and they want change Mm I think it's really cool to to see, you know, a lot of times it, it seems like the, you know, the, the story arc is always the younger, the younger people will always lead the rebellion because they're the ones who are going to be the next generations. You know, Spring Awakening, Rent, I mean, you've got this group of young people that we see what's happening and we're not on this train, like we're going to institute some change. So to see uh, this relationship between Marius and Ajoras is really nice because there is a moment where I think they, a brotherhood, but the two of them, I think, are very much, could be, you could say that they are brothers. 
brothers that they are yeah. very they they know kind of each other's movements and they can tell each other's moods and like much like you do with you know blood brothers or you know people you call brothers and there I I find it it was such a it was such a nice relatable moment when when Marius is like he's almost debating on whether or not he's going to be part of this insurrection well, yeah, because Marius comes from money mm-hmm. and so he has that whole thing fighting inside of him too and I think they have to be a little leery on their side mm-hmm. on whether or not he's actually with them exactly because his father makes a whole point when they're in they're in you know doing one protest protest yeah, yeah. they're having a, a public forum yes and there is there is a moment where his father grabs him Marius and says you know do you understand what kind of shame you have brought to your house like this is this is unacceptable for from you specifically he has this moment where it almost seems like he's gonna go yeah you're right like what am I doing and then Joris comes in and kind of like shakes him back into the cause and he's like oh yeah of course I know why I'm here but it's that moment of doubt that's enough for Joris to go hi, let's remind you of what we're doing here. Like, do you remember yeah. why you're here? And then we add Cosette into the mix and because he knows that Marius, like, found a girl. Oh, 100. He's like, get your eyeballs out of your girl and come back here with me. My eyes are up here, <laughs> not over at her. There, thank you. They are here <laughs> and we are singing about the blood of angry men. <laughs> and we, but I, I don't know. I think it's, it's, one of those things that is, it's a beautiful relationship the two of them have, but I understand why it doesn't get the weight that it does because it feels it like. It almost feels like the most natural it, relationship yes, yes. in this show. That doesn't need to be fabricated. And I'm happy to say it. Oh I'm my God. I'm happy to give it its light finally. Absolutely. <laughs> I think it's, you know, because everybody needs that confidant that you have in your corner that kind of knows you better than anyone yeah. and can allow you the freedom to do things like go wander after a girl but then we'll also be strong enough to pull you back and go hey you know we you still need to be with us because you're strong and we need you here and then unfortunately spoilers uh pretty much marius of that entire group of men is like the only one who survives well thanks to jean valjean thanks to jean valjean I do love this storyline and I love that it's sort of the through line and it's what's happening in the background of all of, to me, some of the superfluous stuff, but it's the superfluous stuff that allows us to identify with this show and why, again, it's self-proclaimed most famous show in the world. Absolutely. What was that fun fact the Phantom dropped on us? (gasps) So the Phantom of the Pod, whom I love so much, he is absolutely enamored with trivia. So we found out uh, the the scene in the film where they are building the barricade in the center of this town is actually the set for Diagon Alley from Harry Potter. I just found that so fascinating and cool. It's, it's and of course the Phantom said that um they they had to have filmed it at Pinewood Studios because there's no other place that has that set yeah. and they just dressed it up differently. But of course, the Phantom of the Pod is the type of person that when he watches something like that, he can immediately identify other things that he's seen before. So he had to go look it up and it is Diagon Alley, folks. So if you go and watch this film and you've seen, you know Harry Potter at all, You'll see it and you will laugh. So perceptive of the Phantom, but that's what makes him the Phantom. Oh my God. There are so many things that make him the Phantom. Probably the weird mask and the cape that he wears all the time, but also his ability to notice things like that. Just takes off the mask. He's Fabio. Yeah. um, He sings at me through the grates in the house. It's very strange. (laughs) The man who never sings will sing to me through a grate. It's weird. Sing for me. (laughs) Sometimes I just love our conversations because we so freaking smart. (laughs) At times. (laughs) At times. We really are. But especially with this show in particular, like it does, it does offer a lot of really big questions and it makes, I mean, at least for, for me and I'll speak for you, but it makes me think of a lot of things that kind of go beyond the show because the show is the vehicle to be able to give you all of these different big things. So, I mean, that part of it is wonderful and, and my brain has gone through mental gymnastics and that is delicious. But now you know what we need to do. We have to go to my favorite portion of this show how about we take Les Mis through a quick cast? God, I hope I get it. I hope I get it. 
I hope I get it. You get cholera? Yeah, me too. Oh, shady much? <laughs> I haven't even subscribed to your master sass class. Like Master sass class. My God, like don't give me sass for free. Make me pay for that stuff. Well, your first session's free. Oh. Gotta get you hooked. So this, this, this film is already like star stacked. Star stacked. How do how does one How does one? Yeah. Even try. You can't. No. But that's the whole fun of this exercise is to try. <laughs> Seeing if we can do as good, if not better. Yeah. So, um much like we kind of talked about in the initial episode of this, there are multiple different characters that we could probably go through and try to cast. But I am only going to focus on probably about nine of your core characters, okay? Sure. So, again, my executive producer, you have a pin, a veto, and a swap. Also, I would say your fourth is just the executive prerogative. Like, that is just your kind of overarching, like, (laughs) I can do whatever the F I want because I'm the executive producer. You usually do good, and I I like the options given because you give me stuff I don't usually think about. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, so then let's just, let's jump right into this this business here. So we're going to start with Jean Valjean. The two headshots I have for Jean Valjean, Chris Pine. Oh. (laughs) Or Patrick Wilson. Oh, f*** you. (laughs) We put Patrick Wilson up for quite a bit before, but I think that either of these humans, we know they both can sing. We know they're both physically capable of being able to perform the role. And I think uh, against a lot of the other people that we have kind of set up to be an ensemble, I think either would be a stellar pillar of this cast. Here's, Here's where I'm struggling. I want Chris Pine in this role. I think Patrick Wilson can sing it better. Ooh, interesting. And so I'm having this weird... Do we do like a four and four or do we hold for other people and then come back? You want to pin? I'm going to pin this because I want to know who are your Javerts. Oh, okay. So well, then let's jump to Javert. Let's just, let's let's do that. Um. So then the two headshots that I have for you for Javert... Luke Evans. Okay. What? Okay. <laughs> or James Marston. <laughs> I get better at this every single time we do a show. It makes me very happy. What hell is this? What fresh hell is this? <laughs> James Marston and Chris Pine look too similar. Correct. I'm going to go. Oh, I'm going to save Chris Pine for another day. I want him probably for something later. Okay. Let's go with Patrick Wilson with this. I like it. Because I think he's immediately lovable as a person. Yes. And we need to love our criminal. Correct. And he can play young and old. Yep. So I think all of that plays a factor. James Marsden has such a, he can be campy and fun. I'd almost put him more toward a Tenardier situation, but that might almost be weird. But I think Luke Evans would do really well mm-hmm. in this. And he's already got that, like, s- not nefarious, but, like, he would spend 30 years hunting down a man. Well, he's already played Gaston, so we know that, A, he's got the pipes, B, he's played a, quote, villain role before, or yeah, some yeah, yeah. sort of antagonist. Yeah. So it's not beyond the realm of possibility to see him in that. So, Patrick Wilson, Luke Evans. Well, then, <laughs> um, how about we jump back to Fontaine? You want to jump back to Fontaine? Let's jump. Okay. So I've got two options for Fontaine. Your first, Patina Miller. Okay. Yes. And the second is Annika Noni Rose. She was the voice of the the main character in um, Princess and the Frog. Frog. Yes. So she's got pipes for sure. Acting chops for sure. I know. You tell me. Patina Miller. Patina Miller. Patina Miller. She she would eat up Fontaine. Especially since that role, I mean, it is, it's both major and minor, right? Yeah. And she, the limited amount of time she would have, she'd, she'd make a difference. She'd make it. All Mm -hmm. right. Beautiful. Well then, okay. So if we know who Fontaine is, let's jump down to Cosette. How about that? Perfect. Okay. Okay. So your options for Cosette, Nabia Bay. Where is she from? She was the original um, Eurydice 
in Hades Town. Yes, I knew I knew that name. Yes. Oh, she was so good. Yes. Or you have Amanda Stenberg. Oh, you. <laughs> oh, my heart is saying Nabia. We're gonna keep Miss Stenberg on hold though okay. for another show. She- Oh, so we're not doing four and four? Okay, no, fantastic. You're Nadia. like, no. Oh, but fantastic. Oh, good choices, though. Thank I'm you. loving all of these. Thank you. Well, then how about we jump back up to the Tenardiers? Should we do that? Let's cast our malicious, vile beings. Master and mistress of the house. The house. So for Tenardier, here's who I have, your two headshots. Joshua Henry. Joshua Henry. Remind me. He played Aaron Burr in Hamilton. Hamilton. Yes. yes he was yes. also in, I'm pretty sure his biography said that he was in uh, In the Heights, Hamilton. Oh, yeah, because he's very, yeah, Lin-Manuel. Yeah, Lin-Manuel. him yeah, and yeah, Lin-Manuel. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Oh, um, he can be a fun Tenardier, too. And then, what about Patrick Dempsey? <laughs> Patrick Dempsey. And he was phenomenal in Something Rotten. He was phenomenal in Shrek. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're pinning this because it is dependent on Kay. Miss Tenardi. Okay. You are going to lose your mind. So, Madame Tenardier, here's your first headshot. You ready? You sitting down? I, yes. Adele. <laughs> ah, what? Adele. No. Yes. Hold on. She's... Wait a minute. Why is it a slow burn and it's starting to feel good? <laughs> like whiskey, she feels good. <sighs> okay, who else? Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> he almost yeeted his headset and walked out of the studio. You almost did that just then. How? Adele is such an interesting choice for this. And her, even her stint on SNL proves that she could do this. Oh, t- and like every clip of her being on the Ellen show where she would have her oh. go in and do crazy stuff. And Melissa McCarthy, come on. Ursula, let's go. Let's go. I'm ready. Screw you for this impossible. <laughs> okay, so we have Joshua Henry. Mm-hmm. Let's see. You were thinking so hard about this right now. Patrick Patrick Dempsey. Oh. Ah. Melissa McCarthy would be so cute. But I have to pick Adele because that's so interesting. (laughs) That is so interesting. I love every minute of the, oh my can't. No one would see that coming. No, no. Is that a waste of her vocal ability, though, to have to sing Mrs. Tenardier? No. Helena Bonham Carter. Helena Bonham Carter got to play her Yeah, Yeah, no, we're good. So now that we know our Tenardier duo, let's jump over to Eponine. Let's okay. see who would who this would be. Sure. Um, we've put her up for a lot of things, but it's only because she's talented. Ariana DeBose. She, I knew that was coming. But I know. Per- it is perfect casting. Okay, mm-hmm. keep going. What about Phoebe Dinovore? <sighs> Correct me if I'm wrong. She is... The side cute fun character on the television show Younger with Sutton Foster and Hilary Duff. Mm-hmm. I'm pulling on your Sutton Foster you string. Are you wicked woman? Because <laughs> like I have watched. No, like I have not watched every single episode twice of Younger because of Sutton Foster <laughs> and Hilary Duff. I mean, let's be real. Strange magic. Whoa, <sighs> yeah. Phoebe Dinovore as Eponine. Yes. Well. Race-wise, it would be weird to not cast her. Correct, with who you have as your Tenardier duo. So I Correct. think I have to go that direction. Okay, all right. And it could be interesting. Um, she's a little quirky and fun, but I think you have to have that side for Ebony. Oh, boy. I don't know. I don't, if, if, if Adele threw you for a loop, I don't know what this is going to do. Ready? Oh, no. Marius, your first headshot is Timothy Chalamet. Cute. Into it. Little broody, though. Okay, but fine. Little broody, but um, okay. How about up against Sean Mendes? Shut your mouth. 
Wow! Shut your mouth. Sean Mendes. Why am I so, I'm hot and bothered right now. Do by I that. need to give you a minute? You need, give me a towel. Oh my, 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 my. I love that. You like a Sean Mendes? I you like that? Love that. All right, let's make it happen. Let's make it happen, Cam. Last person we're gonna cast is Enjoras, our counterpart to Marius. Yeah. Um, your first headshot, Nico Greetham. Oh, he was in prom. He's in American Horror Story short story. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um. Okay. Blonde hair, blue eyed. Boy, yeah, great. Okay, so here's a complete juxtaposition to that. Uh, Zane from One Direction. If Sean Mendez <laughs> is Marius and Zane, oh no, okay. I think that would be wildly that would funny. Be wild and you know, am I here for it? Like the the young pop artists taking over. I think you are the young revolution. I think you are. Maybe I'm into it. Excellent. Let's try it. Let's freaking Hold try on. it. Who was Cosette? Uh, Cosette was um, Nabia Bay. Okay. With Shawn Mendes. Maybe I want to switch this. <gasps> oh, no. Oh, but Shawn Mendes singing MG. I, there's a world where I would like a Zane and Shawn flip. Okay. Is it in this world? They, we might have to go through previews, and I might switch them then. Fantastic! <laughs> That's what previews are for. That's exactly what but, previews are for. Uh, yeah, I I like this. I am at peace. So here is your final cast list: Jean Valjean, Patrick Wilson, Fontaine, Patina Miller, Javert, Luke Evans, Tenardier, Patrick Dempsey, Madame Tenardier, Adele, Cosette, Nabia Bay. Eponine, Phoebe Dinevore, Marius, Sean Mendez, and Enjoras, Zane from One Direction. It, it, to be determined if it would actually hold up and be more epic than a Hugh Jackman. I mean, you can't really you can't really go up against Hugh Jackman. You just have to give a different take on Hugh Jackman. I mean, Hugh Jackman is Hugh Jackman is Hugh Jackman. The boy from Oz. And a lot of people don't even know that. Like it blows. Wolverine stands minds that he's a Broadway singer, but when I bring up he wore gold lame pants in Boy from Oz, they they literally soil their pants and they don't know <laughs> what to do. Oh my god. We've played this game. We have our new cast. Naturally, the next place we have to go with our brand new cast is a land where everyone is free. And Russell Crowe knows how to sing. Ooh. And and if you steal silver, you know, you'll you'll always have the Monsignor to like bail you out. So I think we need to go to our magical land of what if. I'm building a wall. There's so much magic. I'm, I'm barricading it back. I get, but get out of that chair. I'm so wet. It's so watery. Why am I covered in water? <laughs> look down. Look down. Can we, for one second, before we go into this, talk about how live mics were a terrible choice for this movie? Well, no. There's nothing you will tell me that will justify that that choice. There's no other way to capture in the moment emotion. Why you gotta come up with something that makes me change my mind? <laughs> Do I think it was a good idea in 100% of it? No. No. Is that the reasoning? I mean, I dreamed a dream becomes beautiful. Empty chairs at empty tables becomes beautiful when it's just, yeah. the, you know. And Eddie Redmayne crying and still being able to hit those notes. Bravo. That's locked in feigned voice, baby. <laughs> Shout out to my vocal coach once again. I don't know. I don't know why I keep doing this. It's, I don't know. It's silly. Are, are you hoping for some free voice lessons? No, I would never wink, ask wink. him to teach me nudge, for nudge. free. I know. That's rude. If never. You, 
ever do that to your friends. If you're good at something, never do it for free. Well, babe, we're in this land. What question do we pose to the universe today for this show? I had this thought as we finished this show. What if Jean Valjean was simply having his senior moment and all of this was in the mind of a senile old man? What? Because it's his life flashing before his eyes. right before he dies and what if he's creating all of this in his head does it ultimately affect the outcome and the meanings and themes of this show that would speak a lot to some of these characters are so on the extreme like Javert very black and white as a criminal someone who sees this person in you know opposition to them could only ever see them as a you only believe in black and white. (gasps) Watching Cosette fall in love immediately with Marius, not knowing anything about life. (gasps) I could absolutely see this being like a fever dream in the the moments before you die. (gasps) Yeah, I mean, it doesn't explain like maybe him living these other characters' lives and how he knows so much in depth about certain things, but it's the things he's inferred throughout his life about these people that surround him, I suppose, in a way. Well, and it's said a lot of times that when, you know, when you are hitting that period of your life before you are to pass on, people will gain knowledge that they never would have had in their real lifetime. And they see people, and I mean, like, there is... There could be a lot of different explanations for what that is. I am kind of really enjoying this idea. I mean, it sounds morbid, but I'm enjoying because like at the end of this film, Jean Valjean dies in the chair in front of his daughter and his now son-in-law. And it's just him walking up to the Monsignor from the beginning of the show Mm -hmm. and giving himself over finally because Fontaine says, Come with me, you know, may God shine upon you and just just leave this behind and come come to me. And he does it. And it I just keep gasping because it seems so true. Yeah, I I couldn't shake the feeling this time watching. I went, wait, what if this is just sort of like a an episode that he's having right before he's dying and all of this either never happened or did happen or. You know, it, it, or some version oh. of it happened, and he's g- gaining all these life lessons and oh. all of these themes, these big themes, these big life-affirming and changing things that you gain throughout your life and ha- form opinions on. <gasps> you know, what if he's finally coming to terms with who he is or who, what he realizes is or is not important? Oh, my God. I actually, ne- I love that more, honestly. In a way, I kind of do. Yeah. Because it then does truly become Jean Valjean's story. And he gets to be the hero. Exactly. Because he spends this entire story going, who am I? He never gets to say who he is. Because when he does... He's always someone else. He's always a cover. Exactly. It gets him in trouble when he says who he is. And he's seeing other people and (gasps) trying to figure out what he is. So you know what I'm saying? I Conspiracy theory started. Oh my God. I am on the train. Let's go. Love it. Mm, That was... My God. That was delicious. Um... Well, uh, ship is <laughs> ship is sailing, babe. Like there is nothing else. That look is down, literally look down. down. Don't look them in the eye. And I know it's only in my mind. <laughs> ah, oh. Final thoughts on Lemis. I still don't love this show. I just don't. It's not my cup of tea show. Sure. Uh, Do I, again, I have a better appreciation for everything this show is and where its history lies. And I'm so happy I got to deep dive into it because I will now look at the show with less disdain. Here's what I figured out. I don't like, it's not that I don't always dislike this show. Mm -hmm. I dislike the people who love this show. Oh. Because they are incorrigible. I mean, much like we've discovered with a lot of our shows, it. I mean, certain shows have a following. 
And I'm not down talking. It was like, oh, I love this show. This is my favorite show. Well, no, 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 no. The people who like, no, like my dream girl's Fontaine and I'm only going to be Fontaine and they think they're better than you because they like Blah. the show. Not my thing. Blah. I hate the people like that that like this show. And that's what's put the bad taste in my mouth over the years Fair is what enough. I'm realizing. But again, not the show that I'm ever going to pick up and say like, oh, I want to listen to this for four weeks straight. Sure, Not sure. my show for that. But I appreciate the show for everything that it is. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that, um, again, you know, obviously coming from a place that was, I was in the wrong headspace analyzing it the first time, I have pulled some really good things from the film, not necessarily from a pro shot or a staged production of the show. So were I to go back and do this again, watching it now, seeing what film could do, I think I would form, you know, obviously different opinions, but that is the whole magic of what we do is we are able to go through things with a fresh, you know, through fresh eyes and pick new things, dislike new things. I mean, we're able to do that, but I think at the end of the day, this show almost feels too broad for me. Like it, I appreciate the conversation that it started between the two of us. I love the idea that we've hit some really big, broad strokes. But I think with a lot of the shows that we've done, we've, we've been able to like funnel it back in. This show is just too big and I appreciate that it's too big, but it needs to stay big. And it's, I still need something that is able to have a button that is able to be kind of brought back to the end. And I think that this deserves the vibrato that it has and to put a pin on it to end it quote would do it a disservice. And it's just not for me, which is fine. It doesn't have to be for me. Not everything has to be for me. So all that to say, what are we doing next time? Well, my love, I almost gave this away <gasps> in a previous episode we had done. You didn't. Yeah. Oh, babe. But tell me. But I gave you the clue. This show features many high-end brand names of the 1980s that were the epitome of class. Correct. I do remember that clue. Well, Mary, in our season about death, I think we finally need to talk about a show about a killer. <gasps> so uh, sharpen that chainsaw, wrap your room in plastic, and don a yellow raincoat, uh, and let's talk about Mr. Patrick Bateman. We're doing American Psycho. Oh my god, yes! I do, in fact, have the right business cards for this episode. <gasps> That's so freaking cool. I Oh, my God. I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to ruminate about this. And this is delightful. Um, so if you want to join in on our conversation, if you want to give us suggestions for shows, if you want to tell us everything that you think that we're doing great, if you want to give us critiques on things that we can do better, please reach out to us on social media. We are... Uh, from the top underscore podcast on Instagram. If you want to send us an email, it's podcast from the top at gmail.com. Please also for the two of us, we're asking a favor, try to rate and review us wherever you're listening to our show. We really appreciate the feedback because again, we cannot do this without you. So thank you again from the bottom of my salty heart and from <laughs> Steven's sassy heart. We thank you so much for joining us for another episode of from, from the, the top, a wandering unicorn production. So what did you think of Russell Crowe's singing? I think that he should just stick to making movies, singing songs, and fighting around the world. I agree. He, I could see the fear. He was not afraid of falling off that ledge. He was afraid of the next note he had to hit. <laughs>